Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. I'm here in Jacksonville, Florida. Normally, I say at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. But we're here for the Way Radio Rally. Boy, what a time we're going to have. Been here a couple of days getting set up and ready for the rally. Looking forward to all of our listeners, if you can, coming and joining us tonight. It will be at the First Coast Baptist Church from 6 until 8 o'clock. Hope to see you tonight. Well, we're going to go now to a man who is a part of the Jacksonville community. When he's not on the road traveling all over the world, in this opportunity that he has as a journalist, as an author, and just a great broadcast partner with us, Ken Timmerman does live in the Jacksonville area. He's hoping to be able to be at the rally tonight. I would love to introduce Ken to you. But right now, I've got to get to business with Ken. Ken, talk to me about what's happening there in the Ukraine, Russia, massing troops, and even armor there at the Ukrainian border. Does that mean war, or what's going on? Well, this is very serious, Jimmy, a very serious buildup of Russian military materiel, Russian ground units, ground forces on the border. The Ukrainians also have been building up their army since the 2014 war, which they pretty much lost in 2015. Look, this is a big escalation, and it's fanning the flames has been President Biden and his defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, who seem to be vying with each other to, to urge the Ukrainians on. Uh, what people fear, what most military analysts fear now, is some kind of pr- provocation, either a phony provocation by the Russians that would look like a Ukrainian attack that would then justify them to go into Ukrainian territory uh, from eastern Ukraine, or an actual Ukrainian attack against the Russians. This is a very hot, hot situation. Our U.S. troops in Europe, in European command, are at their top level of alert, which means they are awaiting imminent conflict. So this is a very, very serious situation. And I'm, I'm very concerned about, uh, you know, the way that the president in the United States is dealing with this. He is not a strong person. He has shown all along an aversion for Putin and for the Russians. He's openly taking sides with Ukraine. And our Secretary of Defense this past week pledged the Ukrainian defense minister that the United States would support them if they were attacked with everything that we've got. Now, wait a second. I didn't realize that Ukraine had joined NATO and that this was a NATO ally being attacked. Well, guess what? They haven't joined NATO, and it's not a NATO ally, and it's outrageous for our Secretary of Defense to pledge that we will do everything we can to support them if they get into a conflict with Russia over disputed territory, I would add, in the Crimea and eastern Ukraine. So this is very serious. And Ukraine is not only not a member of NATO, but nor are they a member of the European Union. However, the European Union, a little bit concerned, Angela Merkel, who's chancellor of Germany, Uh, making the statement and demanding, actually, that Vladimir Putin reduce the Russian troop numbers there around the Ukraine. Do you think Putin is going to listen to Merkel? What do you think is going to happen there? I don't. And Merkel has nothing to back up her. It's not a threat. It's a demand. She has nothing to back that up with. The Germans have so reduced their military that they could not block 
a platoon of troops walking across the fold the gap, let alone, you know, a, a massive tank assault as they were prepared to do during the Cold War. Look, you know, the thing here, people talk about accidental war, about provoking war, or one side makes a mistake and the other side uh, takes advantage of it, and then all of a sudden, lo and behold, without knowing it, you wind up in war. I don't think that's true. I think, I think that really is a canard. I agree with those analysts who say that uh, accidental war is really a misinterpretation of history. Countries don't go to war because of an accident. They use those accidents or military incidents as a reason to fight the wars that they want to fight. And at the same time, Moscow warning, making a pledge to retaliate against the United States and the United Kingdom because of their plans to put uh, rockets along the Russian border. That can only escalate what's happening, can it not? Well, I think these two are, are different. They are, they are uh, on separate spheres. What we're talking about here with the missile deployment is an arms control violation. It's not yet an aggressive action, although the Russians are trying to make believe that it's an aggressive action. Uh, they're talking about the U.S. and the Brits deploying missile defense systems as we tried to do during the Bush administration and Obama took away in 2009. Uh, the Russians have a new long-range cruise missile, which is in violation of the Intermediate uh, Nuclear Forces Agreement, the INF Agreement that President Trump uh, he pulled out of the agreement in 2019 because the Russians were deploying this long-range nuclear-capable cruise missile in western Russia, in the European part of Russia. But this is separate from the tension in the Ukraine. This is an arms control violation. If you wish, it's a technical violation. It is a diplomatic discussion. Whereas in the Ukraine, we're talking about an imminent hot war. Meanwhile, at the same time, the Iranian nuclear talks underway, albeit whatever is going on there. And I'm wondering, Ken, can you talk to me about what are the goals of Rouhani, President of Iran, example, President Biden, and Prime Minister Netanyahu? Or how you compare what everybody's goals are in these Iranian talks that have just been revived? Well, Rouhani was a big supporter of the nuclear deal in 2015, and he really staked his entire presidency on it. He said this deal is going to cure all of our economic woes in Iran. Uh, they got $150 billion windfall money that was released by the Obama administration. And guess what? The money didn't cure anything because a great portion of it went to support proxy wars in Yemen, in Lebanon, in Syria, in Iraq. And the rest of it went into the pockets of corrupt IRGC, Islamic Revolutionary Guards officials, and corrupt politicians in Iran. Very, very little went to the people. So Rouhani is trying to save his reputation. He is going out. He, he is term limited, so his term ends in June. We will not have a new Iran deal by June, in my opinion, unless the United States caves on everything. At this point, President Biden has made clear he is ready to cave on just about everything the Iranians are demanding. The State Department announced this past week that they were willing to repeal all sanctions that were imposed by President Trump that were not already included in the 2015 nuclear deal. And that's what the Iranians are demanding. They're demanding the lifting of all of those sanctions, and they're demanding the freeing up of $30 billion frozen overseas, which the U.S. has also said they would do. Uh, so Biden wants to make a deal with Iran. Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu, on the other hand, uh, understands that the Iran deal was a pathway to Iranian nuclear 
weapons. And so he has done everything he could, could do in the past, and I think he will continue to do so today and in the future, to prevent a deal from being sealed between Iran and the Western powers and the United States, and to undermine it, if he can, with information and perhaps cyber warfare. I think the Israelis are focusing on exposing Iran's misdeeds, on exposing their violations of the terms of the nuclear agreements that they signed, and uh, when they have to, carrying out cyber attacks and possibly assassinations inside Iran, which they have also done. There's a report coming out of China, Kim, that I want you to respond to. There are witnesses that China actually imprisoning Christians in underground brainwashing locations, torture centers. What do we know about that? It's a pretty extraordinary report, Jimmy, which I, I really thank you for bringing to my attention from Radio Free Asia this past week. And they have eyewitnesses who have gone on the radio talking about being imprisoned for months, close to a year, in what they called a mobile torture facility run by the United Front Work Department, which is the kind of enforcement arm of the uh, Chinese Communist Party. And they were uh, in these facilities, uh, playing clothesmen would beat them, they would, uh, they would try to brainwash them to reject Christianity, to repudiate Jesus, to accept uh, the Communist Party as their savior. They were not fed properly, they had no exercise, they were not allowed to sleep uh, fully, and many of them you know, were, were hurting themselves, trying to kill themselves in jail. You know, Christianity is legal in China. What that means is they have a legal Catholic Church and a legal Protestant Church called the Three Self Patriotic Church. Now, the, the three selves, I guess, are, are the three Chinese leaders that they want to have uh, up on the walls of the church instead of the Holy Trinity. These official churches are not Christian. They pretend to be Christian, but even the believers who go to these, these pretend churches are being persecuted when they accept Jesus, and they're being forced to take down the crosses from inside their own homes and put up pictures of Chinese communist leaders. This is a, a story, Jimmy, that, that really people ought to talk about a lot more. The, the Chinese human rights record, their repression of religious minorities, their repression of Christians, ought to lead the United States and Western powers to boycott the 2022 Olympics in China. You know, I find it just so outrageous to see companies like American Express and Delta uh, and others boycotting the state of Georgia for passing an election law that actually uh, is more liberal than the one in Joe Biden's home state of Delaware. Uh, they're going to boycott the state of Georgia, and yet those same companies are going to take part in the Chinese Communist uh, Olympics in 2022. Something's not right in this picture with American corporations. They're neither patriotic nor American. And dear friends, this is the reason we bring Ken Timmerman to this broadcast table with information like he gives us, and of course his analysis, top drawer information. We so appreciate Ken. Ken, hope to see you at the rally tonight. If not, we'll see you on the radio next week. With great pleasure, Jimmy. I'm looking forward to being there. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan standing by. He's got his Middle East news update for us. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, and we're not normally at the location where I am today. We're at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. But we're in temporary studios set up here in Jacksonville, Florida at Way Radio. We're excited to be able to be here for a Way Radio rally tonight. And look, look who walked into the studio. The program director for Way Radio, Jim Collins. Jim, thank you for letting me use one of your studios for the broadcast today. Oh, Jimmy, it's our pleasure. Believe me, we're glad to have you with us. Are we going to have an exciting time at the Way Radio rally tonight? I know I am, and I'm sure our listeners are too. You know, we've had technical problems in the past, and uh, when your show didn't come on like it was supposed to, boy, we heard from it. You, You are loved by our listeners. Well, we love them, and we're so grateful for these listeners in this region of Florida and even in South Georgia. But also, at the same time, we love Way Radio. You guys have carried us forever. I'm so grateful for what your ministry has done for our ministry. Well, believe me, like I said, it is our pleasure. We are just tickled to have you with us. Thank you, Jim. God bless you, and God bless your ministry here at Way Radio. Now let's go to Dave Dolan. I promised he would be here. He is, for all of us who are students of Bible prophecy, we do not want to miss Dave's Middle East News Update. David, this last week, Holocaust Remembrance Day, but that's just the sorrowful as we get ready for happiness. Next week on Thursday, it will be the 73rd birthday of the Jewish State of Israel. Independence. Both of these days are key. 
the Holocaust probably brought the Jewish people to the land of Israel, and of course the Independence Day marking a absolute tangible evidence that Bible prophecy is in the process of being fulfilled. Would you agree? Absolutely, Jimmy, and I never really thought I would still be around to see Israel's 73rd birthday. It was her 33rd birthday in 1980 when I moved to Israel for the first, uh, well, for a year and ended up living there for 33 years, actually, and I still keep very closely connected to it. And such a unique uh, situation because Memorial Day for the fallen soldiers is the day before Independence Day, and uh, Wednesday evening at sunset, uh, that will end, and all the somber ceremonies that mark Israel's many wars and terror attacks give way to great celebration of the fact that there is a state of Israel and is thriving and economically doing well. Of course, COVID was a big hit, but it was for everyone around the world, so not just Israel, but they're recovering from that and looking forward to uh, more progress uh, on that front this year and getting back to life as much as possible normally. You know, I have many memories of covering Independence Day in the land of Israel as a journalist when Judy and I were living there in Jerusalem. However, Independence Day does mark that Israel has enemies around the region that would like to destroy the Jewish state. One of them, of course, would be Iran. And uh, there's a question going now around, especially in Israel, among the leadership, would Israel dare at this time do a preemptive strike on Iran's nuclear program to develop a nuclear weapon of mass destruction? What would you say? Well, Jimmy, we again had more actual action this uh, week on the ground. The shadow wars, it's being called, continues between Israel and Iran, Israeli aircraft and uh, missiles, especially launched from Israel and uh, over Lebanon, airborne missiles struck uh, Iranian weapons positions near Damascus Airport uh, late Tuesday night once again. And uh, that same day, they are reported to have struck an Iranian ship that belongs to the Iranian Revolutionary Guards. It's a cargo ship. It's been stationed permanently for three years now at the southern Red Sea, where it monitors all passing traffic, Israeli boats going in and out, and others, and some limpet mines struck it, apparently, and put some holes in it, didn't sink it, but did some damage, and the Iranians blamed Israel for that, the Israeli defense minister not confirming that, but he did say that uh, Israel continues to watch everything Iran is doing, and sees its movements towards war, see its growing aggression in the area, and uh, is continuing to try to curb that by these regular ongoing actions that could spark a full war at any time. Meanwhile, of course, the talks in Europe began again over the nuclear um, agreement that uh, several nations signed with Iran and the United States pulled out of, and the Israelis also condemned the resumption of those talks, saying uh, the prime minister did uh, whatever agreement is uh, signed won't be worth the paper it's on. So uh, they very much see Iran as continuing to be their number one threat. David, I'm not sure that you've seen this report, a report saying that Israeli data indicates that the population for the world, as it relates to Jewish people, Jewish world population, is now 
in exactly what it was in 1925, 14.8 million people. That's 83% of those living in Israel today. But that's a great number in light of the 6 million killed in the Holocaust, isn't it? Well, it is, Jimmy, and had the Holocaust not taken place, we would have 20, 30 million Jews probably alive on Earth. So that did a a great damage, a great setback to uh, world Jewry, around a third, we believe, of all Jews on Earth uh, during World War II were killed or died in starvation and other things related to the war. So a massive wound, but as you said, right after that, the State of Israel was created, 1948, went from just 650,000, I think it was, uh, Jews in 48, to uh, over 8 million today. So remarkable growth and Jewish homeland where they can thrive. But of course, again, enemies all around, but the God of Israel on the throne. There is never a dull moment in the political arena in Israel. And I understand this week that President Rivlin actually gave the mandate to Prime Minister Netanyahu to be able to try to form a coalition government. How do you think that's going to go? Well, he's making progress, Netanyahu is. He did get that mandate because a majority of the sitting parliament members recommended uh, him as the next prime minister. A lot of others didn't, but he has been having talks with Naftali Bennett of the Yamina, which means right or right-wing party, and uh, those were said to have gone very, very well. If he gets him on board, that he's just two or three seats short of having that majority government that he wants, and he continues to have side talks with many individual members of other centrist or right-wing parties that are not backing him officially, including the uh, Israel Beitenu Russian uh, party and others. So we'll see what happens, but he's got the first crack at it. Of course, last time he wasn't able to form a government after the first attempt, and then it was given to Benny Gantz, and he couldn't do it, and then it went back finally to Netanyahu, and they came up with an emergency COVID-focused government, which has already fallen apart, and new elections have been held. So we'll see what happens, but it's always horse trading, and it's intense right now. The nation that has the longest border with the state of Israel is Jordan, and I am really concerned about what I've been hearing, a feud among the members of the royal family over there in Jordan. Is this a wake-up call for Israel? What is happening there in Jordan? Well, it doesn't have much to do with Israel directly, although there were some reports that a former Mossad agent may have been involved. But former Crown Prince Hamza, who's the brother of King Abdullah and another of the son of the late King Hussein, who looks remarkably like his late father. Yes, uh, he was said to be staging a palace coup, trying to take control or at least uh, to change some policies and do some things, interfering, as it were, in an area that he shouldn't be interfering in. He's still, of course, a senior member of the royal family, and it looked pretty bad for a couple days, but finally a former crown prince, Hassan, who is the uncle of King Abdullah and of Hamza, uh, he got involved and said, well, I'll take this over, we'll keep this an internal matter, and uh, nothing else will happen. But uh, there were reports that Hamza was under house arrest and all sorts of things. And, Jimmy, I can tell you that any instability in Jordan 
is always noticed very much in Israel, as you said, its longest border. They need a secure and a calm Jordan, especially since the majority of its citizens are Palestinian in origin, and there's a lot of opposition to Israel, a lot of street opposition to the peace accord, and so anything in the government is always nerve-wracking for the Israelis. And that's exactly why we will stay on top of this story with our broadcast partner, David Dolan. David, thank you. A very important report you've given to us today in your Middle East News update. Appreciate it, my good friend. We'll have another conversation next week. Lord willing, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Winky Madad's standing by. We're going to talk to him about a potpourri of items, the Holocaust Remembrance Day, Independence Day, and whatever else we can find to discuss with Winky. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. This is a 90-minute program. We're into our second half hour of that 90 minutes, presenting our broadcast partners, from around the world to give you details about the headlines in the news, these current events basically setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I told you we are here in Jacksonville, Florida. We're here for the Way Radio Rally. It'll take place this evening here in Jacksonville at the first Coast Baptist Church begins at 6 o'clock. We'll have it over at 8 o'clock so you can go home, have a good night's rest, and get ready for church on Sunday. But uh, glad you could join us because right now I'm going to bring Winky Madad to this broadcast table to explain a potpourri of items that we want to talk with Winky about. And the first one I want to approach with you, Winky, is the Holocaust Remembrance Day. Now, I know back in January, we had a conversation about the United Nations Holocaust Remembrance Day that went to all nations of the world. But this last week, Israel had their own Holocaust Remembrance Day. Is there any difference between these two? And if so, can you explain the difference? Well, Jimmy, if I'm not mistaken, it was back in about 1953 that the State of Israel decided to set aside a special day that would memorialize the tragic events that happened leading up to World War II, actually, with the German 
nation becoming the Third Reich and turning Nazi, and, and one of its main pillars was an extreme form of anti-Semitism that just didn't hate Jews or dislike them, but sought to eradicate them, and that's the unfortunate development was, of course, the building of concentration camps and, and such. But the date that was picked was as close as possible to the day that the Warsaw Ghetto Revolt broke out on Passover in 1943. And so Israel decided to combine not only a, a sense of sorrow and bereavement and grief over six million Jews, and at that time, Jimmy, in 1953, there wasn't an Israeli who did not have a relative who vanished due to the Nazi crimes, and combine it with mocking of a heroic event, which was that revolt that lasted almost three weeks in the streets of a small ghetto in the center of Warsaw. Often, Winky, when I'm leading a tour in Israel, the first visit we make is to Yad Vashem, Holocaust Museum, and we get there and I say, here's a very interesting thought if you think it through, folks. World War I actually prepared a land for a people. World War II prepared a people for that land. And that does seem the case. The only safe haven that the Jewish people would have after the Holocaust took place would be the land of Israel and, of course, it becoming a state after that all took place. That is a very special day, then, in the memory of all the Jewish people in Israel, is it not? It is, and there's always a discussion about where the emphasis should be placed. I come from a point of view, shall I say, or an opinion, that the memory of the Holocaust was that we should always be alert because there was actually, now looking back, of course, enough evidence, enough indication, if only people's ears and eyes were kept wider open, to realize that Jews should have left Europe a lot earlier than what happened. And too many people simply could not believe that a cultured nation of authors and composers and philosophers and, and, and cultural elite as Germany was, could turn so ferociously into the beast that it was between 1933 and 1945. That is also the message internally, if I can, can say it, that Jews must carry with themselves. Winky, where did the phrase never again come from? Does that date back to 1953? And actually, what does it mean? Explain it for our listeners. Well, if I'm not mistaken, that was the cry immediately after World War II, and it was memorialized, if I'm not mistaken, especially at the memorial at Auschwitz. And it was, you know, it, it was in Hebrew in English, in, in Yiddish, uh, uh, Polish, and German, if I'm not mistaken, it meant that we will not allow ourselves as Jews that such a development, such events, such thinking and conceptualization of a hatred would ever be allowed 
to develop, and therefore we are always alert. So many times, small incidents that maybe even can pass by the attention of non-Jews, they do not realize how sensitive Jews are to things of an anti-Semitic or anti-Jewish or even simple discrimination or using words that maybe they heard uh, somewhere in a, on a street corner. And that is one lesson, of course, that non-Jews could, should be aware of, that it's not a matter of being beaten up in the schoolyard that happens among children. When these things happen, we immediately become sensitized, and we hope that our friends realize that this is not something minor, but I don't think, at least I'm going to guess now, there isn't a Jewish family that had its origins in Europe that hasn't had a relative who was put to death during that period. That's an amazing concept to, to try to understand. A grandfather, an uncle cousins or cousins or grandfathers of previous generations. I know myself, several score of my family on both sides never made it out of Europe between those periods of time. And I I grew up with a grandmother who was always grieving in some sense. We knew that at certain times we just could not talk to her because she remembered that she got out and her sisters and her parents did not. And it's a very important thing that we Jews should remember, and our friends, and if necessary, our enemies should also remember. Yes, great motivation to use the phrase, never again. Well, Winky, one week after Holocaust Remembrance Day, April 14 and 15, Independence Day, the celebration of the 73rd birthday of the Jewish State of Israel. That's another very special day to Jewish people, isn't it? Yes, of course. It is, in fact, the opposite end of the pole, if I could use it that way, of Holocaust Day. We are free. We are liberated. We're able to have an army, a government, a judiciary, economic and social welfare programs, all by ourselves. We do not depend on anybody except the favor and the support we gain for what we made ourselves from other nations around the world who support us. And that's the way it should be, a family of nations, one nation earning the respect for what we were able to do. And so, therefore, one week after Holocaust Day, we enter into Independence Day with with joy, with celebration. Although, of course, the day before, once again, we remember the fallen and the wars pre-state and during the state's existence, because these sacrifices allowed us to be happy and to celebrate on Israel's Independence Day. Winky, this morning I was reading in my quiet time Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 6, where it says that Israel will be a light unto the nations. And indeed, Independence Day, marking, I do believe, at least partial fulfillment of what God promised the Jewish people, a land where all the Jews could come and live and a kingdom in the future. Boy, fulfillment of prophecy, nothing better than tangible evidence, and that's what Independence Day is. Do you not believe that? I do believe that, and if I may be proud of Israel this past year, 
our performance during the COVID-19 crisis and our ability to overcome to a great extent this pandemic and to show the nations of the world a proper way out of it, even though we're still waiting for a 100%, I think is admirable and is biblical in its proportions of mankind confronting a, a global crisis with belief in ourselves that, of course, comes from the Bible and its prophecies about what Israel is to be to the nations of the world. Winky, I have just a, a few moments. Quickly, will you give me a update on the election situation? I understand that President Rivlin gave the mandate to Prime Minister Netanyahu to try to form a coalition government. Can he do that, or is a fifth election on the horizon? Well, we're going to have to give him about four more weeks, almost. He's entered negotiations with uh, some of his possible coalition partners. It's going to be tough. As I explained previously, when you have smaller parties that you need to coalesce together to reach the top, the 61 plurality, or actually majority, sometimes you have to give up a lot and there's going to be tough negotiations about what the situation is. But I have a funny feeling, Jimmy, that Netanyahu is again going to pull it, as we say, the rabbit out of the hat, and become once again prime minister with a firm government under his leadership. Well, the magic capabilities of Prime Minister Netanyahu have been known down through the years. That's why he is the longest-serving prime minister in the state of Israel. We'll stay on top of the story with you, Winky. Thank you so very much for taking a moment or two to, as you always are capable to do, give us the history of Holocaust Remembrance Day, how that all came together. Very important story. Appreciate it, Winky. We'll talk again real soon. Jimmy, thank you for the privilege of being on the program, and goodbye to you and our listeners. You know, I always enjoy having a conversation with Winky Madad, talking today about the sorrow and then happiness next week. Holocaust Remembrance Day this week in Israel, when the entire nation stopped for two minutes to honor the six million that were killed during World War II. And then looking forward to Independence Day, Next Thursday will be the 73rd birthday for the Jewish State of Israel. Tangible evidence that indeed Bible prophecy is in the process of being fulfilled. Well, we'll move from the Middle Eastern region to the European region and focusing on the European Union. We do that with our broadcast partner, John Rood and John. It looks like some problems there with the Ukraine and Russia. Angela Merkel, Chancellor of Germany, making a demand of Vladimir Putin to reduce Russian troops around the Ukraine. Give us the latest. Oh, yes. The German Chancellor Merkel has called up the Russian President Putin to take down this military buildup. It's eastern Ukraine, northern Ukraine, and then also in Crimea. So it's quite an escalation. The movement of troops is definitely not a standard, regular troop movement. And uh, there's putting a lot of, lot of pressure on Ukraine, of course, and internationally. The EU is, and the UK have come out with strong statements 
to back Ukraine completely. And there's also been some rhetoric uh, from the United States and so forth, and Russia appears to be reacting very strongly. It's the U.S. command. The U.S.-European command has raised the threat level from a possible crisis to a potential imminent crisis, and this is their highest level. So it's important for people to be informed here. This is not the normal situation. Talk to me about the European Union chiefs moving in and having a meeting with Erdogan there in Turkey. What was on that agenda there in Ankara? Well, Turkey has put a lot of pressure on the on the EU uh, for many different reasons. The EU, they've kind of run out of some firepower. You know, Turkey has been a candidate member for the European Union. It's gone on now for 22 years. Actually, President Erdogan has been in power for 18 years, so you can see that there is a quite a stall. The EU just won't come out and say that they don't have a chance to join. The EU is not interested for Turkey to join the European Union and then have a enormous population represented in the European Parliament, 82 million population. So there has been some interaction on, on the high level. I don't think the EU has very much to leverage here. They're working more to simply contain Turkey, who has directed the situation and brought it to this point. John, the ICC, International Criminal Court, is headquartered there in Europe. They are attempting to charge Israel with war crimes and put them on a par of terror organizations across the world. What's going on? Yes, the ICC is based in Den Haag, Netherlands. It's interesting to note, you know, where do they get this uh, jurisdiction? The ICC is actually formed from a document called the Rome Statute. And so this was adopted in 1998, and they call it the Rome Statute because it was drafted and signed in Rome. Well, this was very similar, you know, to the situation with the Treaty of Rome, which was 1957, which was essentially the founding document for the European Union. And then when it's convenient, as we know, the European Union leaders will even reference Rome in terms of similarities to the ancient Roman Empire and the Holy Roman Empire. So they're now coming out, as you said, trying to equate Israel with terrorist states. This has never been the point of such a court, is to target democracies as Israel. And so this has continued. The United States is not represented in the uh, ICC, and so now it's just another supposed legal means to go ahead and try to persecute Israel. And it's much more beyond than simply this type of declaration. They would really look to completely delegitimize the state of Israel. John Rood, the man who covers the European Union, and as you've been listening, you understand why we have him to come to the broadcast table each and every week. We'll stay on top of that story as it relates to the ICC and Israel. John, thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Thank you very much. Well, right now, I'm going to my good buddy, Mike Gendron. We're going to be talking about his newsletter. Actually, I got my copy of the email newsletter from the ministry proclaiming the gospel. 
which is the ministry of Mike Gendron and his wife, and they are out trying to win Catholic people to Jesus Christ. Now, this is a great newsletter. Mike, if somebody wanted to receive it, how would they do that? would simply go to our website, proclaimingthegospel.org, and there is a sign-up button that you can click on and just enter your email address, and then we'd be glad to send that out on the first day of every month. It really keeps people up to date on what's coming out of the Vatican. We know that uh, we're in the end times, and many people believe that the Roman Catholic Church is mystery spiritual Babylon. So this uh, article that we're going to talk about today is actually an article that really shows Pope Francis to be the most influential false prophet in the world today. Well, I thought the newsletter was excellent. I opened up my email, and there the title came out, Is the Pope Catholic? I had a little chuckle because that's a phrase I always use. You know, if I'm doing something that's obvious and somebody asks me about it, and I say, well, is the Pope Catholic? And, you know, that phrase maybe has been used by others as well. But what I thought I would do is I would simply ask the same questions that you ask in the article and get you to answer. So let me get, begin with that first one. Is the Pope Catholic? Well, the reason that is a viable question today is that many of the Pope's bizarre and contentious statements have not only gone against the Bible, but also they've gone against historic Roman Catholicism. So we do ask the question, is the Pope really Catholic? Because many of the higher clergy, the cardinals of the Catholic Church, have a problem with him refuting historic Roman Catholicism. In your opinion, then, Mike, is the Pope humble? Well, he wants to portray himself as humble. When he first took the office, he refused to live in the papal palace, instead chose to live in a guest room. But he was also known to wash people's feet and have a humble lifestyle. But when you really look at what he has done, he's stolen the titles given to the triune God. So you wonder how anyone can declare himself to be humble when he declares himself to be Holy Father. There's only one Holy Father. The Lord Jesus prayed to him in his high priestly prayer. And the Pope also steals the title of head of the church, a church that he did not die for as the true head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ did. And he also wears the title Vicar of Christ. Jesus said, I must go, but I will send someone in my place. He was referring to the Holy Spirit. So he has stolen the three titles reserved for the triune God. That is a very arrogant and proudful position to take, and so he is not a humble man. As you know, Mike, your next question was, is the Pope a universalist? Now, explain that term first, and then answer the question, please, sir. Well, a universalist is one who believes that all people will go to heaven, and that is what the Pope has been preaching recently. Again, this goes against historic Roman Catholicism. It also goes against the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so... Anyone who declares that all people are saved and on the road to heaven is going against the very words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He even says that atheists will go to heaven. Everyone 
And he goes on to say, the blood of Christ has redeemed us all. That was a quote he gave May twenty second, 2013. And he has continued to preach universalism. This question follows then, basically, in light of what everything else we've talked about says, is he a denier of the reality of a place called hell? Yes, he is, which goes all in line with his universal salvation. If everybody's going to heaven, then there's no need for hell. But the Pope has actually come out, and I quote, he said, there is no hell where sinners suffer in eternity. He added to his heresy by saying, after death, those who do not repent cannot be pardoned, and they disappear. So he's not only a denier of hell, he says that there will be no punishment for those who die without Christ. We know by studying God's Word in the book of Genesis chapter 2, the Lord brought into existence marriage, a institution that is sacred as far as God is concerned. Later in chapter 9 of Genesis, human government, in Acts chapter 2, the local church. So my question then, and you ask it in your newsletter, is the Pope against the sanctity of marriage? Yes, in fact, a recent endorsement by the Pope was an endorsement of same-sex civil unions. And, of course, this was criticized by conservative Catholics because, once again, it goes against historic Roman Catholicism. When we look into God's timeless Word, it reveals that His holy intentions for marriage, family, and sexuality are clear, and anyone who goes against them, of course, is under the condemnation of the Word of God. We also know that the first family consisted of a male husband and a female wife, along with their children. So the Pope promoting same-sex civil unions would go against God's plan for the marriage and the family. Now, Mike, having answered all of the questions that you had there in your article, let me just deal and have you to deal with especially this last question. We, as born-again, Bible-believing Christians, what can we do for Catholicism and Catholic people out there in light of what you've said to the answers for your questions? Well, as you mentioned in the introduction, my heart's desire is to see Roman Catholics come to know the true Christ and the true gospel, and they are right now under the head of a false teacher and the Bible tells us to beware of such people, it's my heart's desire that Roman Catholics will come to understand that Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient Savior, that he finished the work of redemption, that the work of redemption does not continue on Catholic altars as the Catholic Church teaches. But it's uh, the responsibility of all of your Christian listeners to recognize that the Catholic Church is a huge mission field, it is not a Christian denomination, as some of our evangelical leaders have been influencing people to believe by signing unity accords with Roman Catholicism. And so we have to recognize that Catholics need to be evangelized. They've been deceived by believing a false gospel and another Christ that's insufficient to save them completely and forever. And so that's why we have so many resources available, Jimmy. Our website is dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with the essential resources to make sure that the gospel is clearly presented to Roman Catholics 
so they can repent of their false gospel and put their trust in Jesus Christ, the all-sufficient Savior. Mike, give us that website address one more time. Our website address is proclaimingthegospel.org. That's proclaimingthegospel.org. And people can also call us at 817-379-5300. We are here to help everyone be equipped to be faithful ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. Mike, I always love it if I call your number and you're not there. Your dear wife comes on and says, well, we're not here right now. We're out proclaiming the gospel to Catholics. So I guess we should follow that exhortation as well. And I think with your answers to the questions, very simple questions, very direct answers, I think we should be at the task. We should try to win everybody to the Lord, but those in the Catholic Church, a great mission feel for us to be involved in today. Thank you so much for your ministry, Mike, for your time you give us here on Prophecy Today. Appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll have another conversation down the road. Thank you, Jimmy. Always a joy. Very interesting report with Mike Gendron answering the question, is the Pope Catholic? You heard what he had to say. may want to listen to it again. Well, let me tell you, we have one more broadcast partner. He's going to help us understand anti-Semitism, its origins, and what part is it playing in the church today. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Not at Broadcast Central as usual, but instead temporary studios set up in Way Radio. Actually, the radio station that's the network affiliate for our program, Prophecy Today Weekend. We're here in Jacksonville for the Way Radio Rally tonight. It begins at 6 o'clock, goes till 8 o'clock, but I want you to come and join us we're going to have a wonderful time studying the prophetic Word of God. The rally will take place at the First Coast Baptist Church. And also, do me another favor. I would love for you to answer our poll question. Here's the question. In light of the Holocaust Remembrance Day in Israel and remembering the 6 million Jews killed during World War II, do you believe also the prophecy of Zechariah in chapter 13 and verse 8, where we are told a worst holocaust is yet to come during the tribulation period when two out of every three Jews will be killed? Go to my poll question on my home page and answer it, please, if you will. We now bring to this microphone David James. It's that time of the week here on Prophecy Today for David and I to have a conversation focusing on an issue that needs to have a biblical and prophetic basis. We need to give you the scripture that will assist you in knowing how to deal in your everyday walk of life with this particular issue. And we're going to do that in a moment. We'll focus on anti-Semitism and the Holocaust. But as you listeners may well know, we were hoping to be connecting with David this week from the Ukraine. However, David, that's not the way it worked out for you, is it? 
No, Jimmy, it's not. And you know, anyone who's been a missionary for very long knows that learning to expect the unexpected and roll with the punches are just skills that you have to develop. And, and of course, none of these things catch the Lord by surprise. So on Sunday morning, I had received my COVID test results uh, back. I, obviously, I was negative, and I thought everything was set as I made it through the screening at the, the check-in in Indianapolis, and I was waiting at my gate in Washington, D.C. for my flight to Munich. Then just before boarding, we, we were told we needed a stamp on our boarding passes because Germany had just changed their rules, including for the international transit area, uh, where there had been no restrictions before this, and they had just changed the rules to a 48-hour window for a negative test. So while my results met the 72-hour window for entering Ukraine, I would have been outside of Germany's window when I arrived so they wouldn't let me on the plane. And fortunately, United took responsibility and put me up in a hotel in D.C. and flew me back to Indiana on Monday, and hopefully I'll get refunded for the international portion of my ticket. So this week, Jimmy, I've taught about 15 hours of God's plan through the ages via Zoom through a translator from a small studio I've set up in our bedroom, and I'll be doing the same next week with uh, Signs, Wonders, and the Charismatic Movement. Uh, it's certainly not ideal, but it's the world we're in now, and it's great to have the technology to be able to uh, do this. Well, indeed, it is great to have that technology. However, I've done that before, been there, done that, and it is difficult. So everybody should be praying for you as you do your teaching via the internet via Zoom, etc. A lot of problems there. David, our listener's question for this week was from a lady asking for advice concerning an adult Bible study book that would be suitable for using in a Sunday school class or other small groups, I would assume. Right. You know, this is a, sort of a different kind of a question than we normally deal with, uh, but it's it's a good one, and I hope we can help a little bit. You know, the problem is there is tons of material out there with books and blogs and podcasts and videos and online classes, but unfortunately, and I say this carefully and kindly, but you have to be very careful because there's just a lot of junk out there. And when you're trying to teach or study with a group of people, the idea of eating the meat and spitting out the bones is sort of a uh, a strategy or a philosophy that can be difficult and and I would say even a dangerous strategy that i that i don 't personally recommend, but because I have a lot of connections with very trustworthy people, I put out a request for input on social media and got quite a bit of feedback honestly. One person who responded was paul Barreca. we 've mentioned him before he 's the president of Fellowship International Missions and one of the co-founders with us of the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. And uh, he was also a longtime pastor, and he recently wrote an excellent book called Follow the Master, a Discipleship Course for Growing Christians, and I would highly recommend that book. It's one that I gave an endorsement to for him. My son-in-law, who is a pastor in southeast Iowa, also responded and recommended a 12-week series on the book of Job, which is part of uh, the Knowing the Bible series, and he says it's simple and easy to follow, 
and the workbook makes you dive into the text. And then another Bible teacher that I've interacted a lot with on the Internet, a man named James Quiggle, he's written dozens of books, and he told me that his wife, Linda, Linda Quiggle, has written an excellent series of Bible studies designed specifically for small groups. And all of these are available on Amazon. So hopefully that's a bit of a help for our listener. Oh, that's a great team you've assembled there, David. I appreciate uh, them chipping in to help us give the correct answer to our listener. By the way, tell your son-in-law I have just developed myself a series on the book of Job. We'll be teaching it as we travel across the country in the next month and a half. I look at Job as a prophet. I would like to collaborate with your son-in-law and see what he has to say. You know, this week we've been discussing the Holocaust Remembrance Week, and we know that the Holocaust is a direct consequence of anti-Semitism. I was wondering, David, how would you trace the source of anti-Semitism biblically? Well, Jimmy, anti-Semitism, I would say, is a direct result of what we could call Satan's war against God. And this war began when Satan, the highest of God's angels, at that time known as Lucifer, he was a beautiful and powerful cherub, and he first rebelled against God, as described in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And again, known as Lucifer before his fall, this powerful angel decided that he would set himself above God himself. And, Jimmy, I think a case can be made that the reason Lucifer became angry and prideful was that God had made Adam a mere human, someone less powerful, to be God's regent over the creation instead of Lucifer. And so he became God's adversary, which is exactly what Satan means, Shatan, in the Hebrew. In Genesis 3.15, after the fall of Adam and Eve, God warned Satan that an offspring of the woman would defeat him, and there was an attempt to prevent that when fallen angels tried to corrupt the entire human race, as recorded in Genesis 6. And God spared only uh, the uncorrupted family of Noah and his wife and uh, his three sons and their wives, and one of his sons was named Shem, and we get the word Semitic from his name. And because of the language of judgment at Babel, the world was divided into many nations, and God raised up a new nation through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were descendants of Shem, and this became God's chosen people, Israel. So then Satan focused his attention against the Israelites because they were God's chosen people, and it quickly became clear that it was God's intention for Israel, the Jews, to rule the world through a descendant of David, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, the one who would defeat Satan and fulfill Genesis 3.15. So this is what anti-Semitism is about, Satan using people in his war against God and his chosen people. David, my study of the Bible has brought me to the same conclusions for the origins of anti-Semitism, that conflict between Lucifer and Adam. Very interesting connection there, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Well, as we go through the Bible, David, how can we see this anti-Semitism playing out in biblical history? I am sure there are certainly many major events that actually stand out. Well, you're right, Jimmy. You know, the satanic theme of anti-Semitism literally jumps off the pages of the Bible, and Satan either tries to destroy the Jews directly 
or incites them to sin such that they anger God to the point that he'll destroy them. You know, Abraham had a nephew named Lot who had two daughters who got him drunk in order to commit incest with him, and as a result they gave birth to the fathers of the Moabite and Ammonite nations, both which of which became mortal enemies of Israel, and later Solomon built altars for child sacrifice to these Moabite and Ammonite gods on the Mount of Olives, as recorded in 1 Kings 11. Isaac's half-brother Ishmael fathered 12 princes in Arabia, the birthplace of Islam, which we know has become the greatest threat to Israel's existence to this day. Jacob's brother Esau fathered the Edomites, who were also mortal enemies of Israel, and, and it was an Edomite king, King Herod the Great, who killed all boys two years old and under, hoping to kill the newborn king of the Jews, Jesus Christ. And then Satan tried to persecute and assimilate the Jews through the uh, Egyptians, then destroy them through the inhabitants of the Promised Land, that would be the Philistines and Canaanites and Amalekites and, and many others. Then the kingdom split, bringing wicked kings and more paganism into the nation, resulting in God judging them through the Assyrians, who attempted to completely scatter the Jews of the northern kingdom, and then God judged the southern kingdom through the Babylonians, who attempted to conquer and assimilate them, and then the Persians attempted to entirely annihilate all of the Jews, and God intervened, and, and that didn't happen. Then under the Greeks, Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed the pig on the altar and erected a, a statue of Zeus in the temple. And then came the iron rule of the Roman Empire that eventually burned Jerusalem and the temple to the ground in AD 70. So it's all throughout the Bible. That's a great history lesson as it relates to anti-Semitism throughout the entire Bible. Thank you for that, David. But how would you say that anti-Semitism has carried forward in modern times, not only in government and society, but even in our churches? Well, Jimmy, of course, there's the Holocaust of the last century that we're talking about this week under Hitler and Mussolini and Stalin, and that was driven by anti-Semitism rooted in satanically twisted biblical theology and political ideology, which fueled fear and hatred of Jews, and this mentality continues today with white supremacist groups. And we're also influenced to this day by a Jew-hating emperor of the second century named Hadrian, who called the land of Israel Palestina, the land of the Philistines, which has remained in our vocabulary for 2,000 years, even in our Bibles. And even some dispensationalists have referred to the covenant at the end of Deuteronomy as the Palestinian covenant. It's not. It's the land covenant between God and his people, Israel. And the Palestinians aren't even an historic people. They're a largely ethnically Arab group that's been manufactured by a political machine fueled by anti-Semitism with the goal of driving Israel into the sea. And then you have the BDS movement, which stands for Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions, and it's sometimes intentionally and sometimes unwittingly supported through policies that are intended to hurt and punish the nation of Israel. And corporations and countries, they boycott producers in Israel, and they divest themselves of investments in Israeli companies, and they impose sanctions on companies, making it hard to do business with Israel, and many Christians agree with these tactics. 
And the fact is, the majority of Christendom is theologically anti-Israel and pro-Palestinian because most seminaries and colleges and universities and, and even churches teach that Israel no longer has a place in God's program. And if that's true, then the modern state of Israel is an illegitimate occupier of land that's rightfully owned by the Palestinians, and this is inherently anti-Semitic. David, man, I'm amazed. That's great. You've laid out the history of anti-Semitism. It's been the focus of our most of our entire broadcast today, but it's great to have a biblical basis. And I started this conversation by saying we would give our listeners biblical and prophetic information to help them continue in their walk with the Lord on a daily basis. Thank you for all of your work, David. Appreciate it. Hope you'll come back for a, another issue that we discuss next week. I look forward to it, Jimmy, as always. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to take every bit of the information I gleaned from my broadcast partners, and we'll open that information up to you, and then I'll open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today Weekend, we're here in studios of Way Radio in Jacksonville, Florida. We're so thankful that Way Radio has been faithful in preaching and teaching the Word of God for many, many years in this area. But also we're thankful that they've been carrying our broadcast 
Prophecy Today, both the weekend program and our daily five-minute broadcast as well. In fact, one of our broadcast partners lives in the Way Radio listening area. That's Ken Timmerman. However, there's another broadcast partner living in the area, Ron Murrow, who reports for us on financial activities across the world as well. We're so glad to have both of these broadcast partners with us and thankful that Way Radio allows us to have an opportunity to get our message of the soon coming of Jesus Christ out to this listening area. You know, if you had to miss any of our program today, let me remind you, if you'll go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and then to PTRN, we have archived all of the conversations that I had with my broadcast partners. And if you had to miss them, you can listen at your convenience by going to prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. And do be sure to remind a friend or a neighbor and a member of your family that they can hear these broadcast conversations as well. Now, if you'll let me, I'm going to rehearse what the lead story from each of my broadcast partners was and then give you my prophetic prospective. Ken Timmerman, he covers geopolitical activities for us. We talked about Russia massing troops and military hardware at the Russian-Ukraine border. You know, with Russia already in the Middle East, and now this flare-up at the border between Russia and the Ukraine, it looks like this could spark a war, that war talked about in Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11. The Gog-Magog war, it could start there at the Russian-Ukraine border and then spread to the Middle East. Speaking of the Middle East, David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update. Every prophecy student is able to profit and learn from this report from David. He answered the question, will Israel actually do a preemptive attack on Iran's nuclear program to develop a weapon of mass destruction? We already know that Iran is Israel's number one enemy. We know that they want to destroy the Jewish state. And we know that God's word tells us of the alignment of nations that will be formed by Russia to attack the Jewish state. Everything we know gives us indication by what's happening. This prophetic scenario is about to be fulfilled. Winky Madad talked to us about Holocaust Remembrance Day, and then we looked forward a week to Independence Day. From sorrow to happiness. That's what we were talking about. The sorrow of the Holocaust, six million Jews killed, but that then was helping us to understand why everybody is so happy about the birthday for the Jewish state. They're 73 years old this year, and the state of Israel, tangible evidence of Bible prophecy being fulfilled. That's Ezekiel chapter 34 and chapter 37. God does keep 
his promise to bring the Jews back into the land and give them their own state. John Rood is the man covering the European Union for us. He reported that Angela Merkel, Chancellor of Germany, was demanding that Vladimir Putin reduce his troops at the Ukrainian border. Vladimir Putin is actually making a threat to the Ukraine and, in fact, all of Europe. This all proves that what the Bible calls for, the war activities in the Middle East, could actually be sparked there in the Ukraine and then spread to the Middle East. That's what Scripture says. That's what will indeed happen. Mike Gendron came with a special report and answered the question, is the Pope Catholic? Have you ever used that phrase, somebody asks a question with an obvious answer, and you say, well, is the Pope Catholic? Yes, I've done that several times, but it was a good response from Mike about the Pope and Catholicism itself. Bottom line is, the Pope needs to be told about Jesus as the Savior of the world and how to get saved, and so do all Catholics. Mike's exhortation to you and me as true Bible-believing born-again Christians. Go out to the largest mission field that he knows. That would be the members of the Catholic Church. But I would suggest go to anyone who does not know Jesus Christ. Try to lead them to the Lord. By the way, the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12 says we can hasten the rapture by leading people to Jesus Christ. David James gave us a history lesson starting with the origins of anti-Semitism and all the way down to today and how anti-Semitism is affecting the church today. Dave's history lesson on anti-Semitism was excellent. This helps us to see how another Holocaust is in the future yet to happen. That's Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8 where the ancient prophet said, during the tribulation period, two out of every three Jews will be killed. By the way, the exhortation from Mike was to try to lead them to the Lord. That same chapter, chapter 13 of Zechariah, verse 9 says, the third that will remain alive will indeed come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, each point made by my broadcast partner in their reports today gave us tangible evidence that we are living in the last days. Also, it gave us evidence that the next event in God's calendar, the rapture, could actually happen at any moment, perhaps even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Mm